All right. Um, we are going to go ahead and uh, move into our teaching time today. We've been in a series uh, on the clock for Christmas, right? And we got that nifty little Christ mass sort of thing, right? We're preparing uh, for the celebration of both the birth of Jesus, Christmas, and also his return. We're going to touch on both of those a little bit in our time together today. Uh, some of you will remember vividly, others of you may have forgotten about this, but it was on May 12, 2008, actually just a couple weeks before our daughter Ava was born, there was a massive earthquake in central China. And uh, it registered 8.0 on the Richter scale, and it left uh, a swath of devastation as buildings crumpled to the ground. There was crushed concrete, there was crumpled steel, broken bridges, and tens of thousands of people lost their lives. Hundreds of thousands uh, were impacted and displaced uh, in this massive earthquake. As rescuers went in to try to recover what they could, uh, try to save lives in the midst of the rubble, they saw uh, just the enormous impact on the families whose lives were forever changed as a result of this terrible earthquake. This is a picture of a, a mother, actually, uh, and the lifeless hand of her child who was trapped in the rubble. Even if you don't remember that particular event, you may be familiar with uh, catastrophes and the devastation that it can cause. The Apostle Paul was familiar with that same sort of experience, and as he wrote his letter to the Christians in the ancient city of Thessalonica, he did so in the midst of a tumultuous season for them. Acts chapter 17 tells us the story of what had happened. Paul was making his way on his missionary journey, and he had uh, gone into Macedonia, or modern-day Greece, to the second largest city then and still to this day in the country of Greece, Thessalonica. And he found some uh, open ears and open minds there. He proclaimed the gospel, and he brought people to faith. He built this church, uh, but then he was run out of town by his opponents, by enemies of the gospel that had come in and tried to persecute him. The, the city was brought out into the streets. There were riots and demonstrations, and as a result, Paul and his companions had to flee for their lives in the middle of the night, leaving behind this young, fledgling church. But these people that Paul knew and loved, he, he held them dearly. Uh, in fact, he says in chapter 2, uh, he saw himself as like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, or in another place, uh, like a father with his children. Even though Paul himself was never married, never had kids, he devoted his life and his attention fully uh, to church planting and to proclaiming the gospel. Uh, he could relate with these uh, believers like there were his own children. Um, here's another verse uh, in that same text. He says this, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. So as Paul was writing to this church that he had to flee from, at least the city, in order to survive, he did so to address the very real hurt and brokenness they were experiencing. It was like their world had collapsed down upon them. And they were trapped in the rubble. Now today, our theme, if you've picked this up already, you've gathered, is to think about how do we approach preparing for Christmas 
uh, and for the return of Jesus when life is hard, when we experience brokenness, when we deal with addictions or health crises, when we deal with infertility or broken marriages, how do we ourselves or how do we help others uh, enter into the Advent and Christmas season when life is challenging and our world is collapsing? Paul says this to the Thessalonians, you suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Paul, in addressing the brokenness that the Thessalonians were experiencing, he gives them a very clear set of directions that can be helpful for us as well. Specifically, and you've maybe gathered this theme throughout our worship today as well, um, the power of prayer. So we're going to look at it in three particular ways based on what Paul teaches in chapter 3. We're going to look at praying uh, for people to grow in faith. Uh, Number two, to abound in love. And we're going to pray for people to become secure in hope. So let's start with this first one, uh, praying for people uh, to grow in faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10 says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now when you think about prayer, uh, some people approach prayer kind of like a heavenly slot machine. Now I've never actually played a slot machine, but I know a thing or two about it because I watched some of Ocean's Eleven last night, right? Okay? And, uh, and you know the drill, right? For a slot machine, you just take a coin or whatever, you put it in there, you pull the lever and the things spin and you hope that it goes ding, 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 and then like all the money comes falling out, right? And you strike it rich. Some people approach prayer like that, where like if I just throw up enough prayer requests, right, or say the right thing, maybe God will just kind of just dump a bunch of good stuff on me. Or others approach prayer kind of like going to the dentist. Um, Team Griner actually had our semi-annual dentist appointment on Friday. We love our dentist, Dr. Gelb. He's awesome. He's a person of peace to us. And uh, if you're looking for a dentist, he's over by Randhurst, and he's fantastic. But um, uh, what's that? No cavities. Yeah, we had a great dentist visit, but, but prayer, kind of like going to a dentist where you know you should do it, but you kind of avoid it because you maybe have some cavities or, or maybe you've experienced some pain in the past, and so you know you should, but you don't as much as you'd like. Or some people approach prayer kind of like a, um, uh, a good luck charm, right? Like a rabbit's foot, which is kind of creepy if you think about it, or a four-leaf clover if you've ever gone looking for one of those right, where they think it's like some sort of little special thing that maybe gives them a competitive edge in life or in a relationship with God. For Paul, prayer isn't like any of those things. Instead, for him, prayer is a constant spiritual habit that he developed over his life and he encouraged others to do as well. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, for example, says, a pray without ceasing. And for some of you, you've learned this over uh, your journey of faith and life. You've learned the value and the pro- power of prayer. It's like an open-ended text thread with God that you can always add something to and know that he will receive it, right? It's like a, an ongoing conversation, whether you're driving or whether you're sitting at home at work or laying down at bed and you have burdens upon your mind, you know that you can say anything and God will receive it. For others, you may not have gotten to that point yet where you have a 
constant life of prayer, but let me invite you to consider that Jesus was being real when he said, uh, come to me when you're weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Or when Peter says, cast all your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for you. Right? This is the open-ended invitation God gives us. We can bring him anything and he will hear and answer us according to his grace and mercy and will. So when Paul talks about praying, it is this ongoing spiritual discipline of communicating with a loving Heavenly Father that delights to hear from His children. But I want to point out one other word here that's interesting, that word supply. Right, Night and day we're praying that we want to see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. The word there, you may not notice it as much in English, but in the original Greek, it is used also in the New Testament to describe the task of mending a net. Okay? So you may remember Peter and Andrew and James and John were all fishermen originally before they became disciples of Jesus and then apostles doing the work of uh, evangelism and church planting. Um, uh, when we first see Peter and Andrew and James and John in Mark chapter 1, for example, in Matthew chapter 4, they're by the Sea of Galilee and they're doing what fishermen do. They're mending their nets, right? They're, they're, they're repairing and taking good care of them because they get worn out with use and they don't want to miss out on any opportunity for a catch. Now, I bring that up because what's interesting is all of us throughout our entire earthly life have room to grow in faith. Uh, none of us re re achieve perfection in this earthly life, and so all of us have a chance to grow in faith, to, to be mended and to be healed. And so Paul says, what can we do first? We can pray for people uh, that God would supply what they lack, that he would mend what is worn out and weary and broken. We can pray that they would grow in faith. Uh, in a deeper and abiding trust in this Heavenly Father that knows and loves us. So that's the first thing for you or for those you know and love that you can do is pray to grow in faith. Secondly, uh, to abound in love. We can pray for people to abound. I love that word, abound in love. Here's what Paul says. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. If you've ever gone through a season uh, where you're trying to take good care of yourself physically, maybe try to, uh, to hit a weight goal or something like that, and if you know if you're uh, putting on weight but not gaining muscle, that means you're putting on something else, right? <laughs> right? You're kind of maybe uh, enlarging some fat deposits, right? Which generally speaking, unless it's on a delicious steak, is not a good thing, right? In that case, I love it. But uh, if it's uh, love handles or something else on our body, it's not something that we enjoy. Um, scripture describes something similar when it comes to our faith. It says, when we grow in knowledge but not in love, it's like we're becoming fat in our faith, unhealthy, right? Not the way that we want to be or are designed to be. But God has created us, actually, uh, to grow in love, another spiritual discipline of seeing the needs in the lives of others and meeting it with what God has given us in abundance. That's why I love the word abound or overflow here. God designed us to receive his love, to, to be forgiven and restored and renewed, but not to just hold on to it for ourselves, right? We're intended by God to be his conduits of love into the lives of others, 
And when we freely give what we have received in abundance, then we experience this overflow of love that brings the world what it longs for and desperately needs but cannot find anywhere else other than in the love of God our Father through Jesus Christ. So especially when life is hard, what God invites us to do is seek to love others freely, unconditionally, abundantly, and in that way, God repairs and restores our own souls as well. So if you know someone who's going through a blue Christmas, uh, sometimes they can turn inward because of their shame or the burden they're bearing. God says, don't focus on yourself in this season, but love others and in this way experience the abounding and overflowing love of God. Third thing, uh, pray for people to become secure in hope. Here's what Paul says. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. In the midst of their present tense circumstances, right, the persecution they were facing from unbelieving friends and neighbors who had turned against them, Paul knew that what his friends needed was a reminder of the future tense. That is what will come. He wanted to remind them of the hope and the promise we have in Jesus. Namely, that in the same way that Jesus ascended into heaven uh, to rejoin his Father in the heavenly places and to gather with the saints and the angels and, and the souls of those who have departed in the faith, in the same way he ascended, he will return with power and glory, with the trumpet of God, with the angels surrounding him. And we're told that in that day, Jesus will finally make right everything that's wrong in the world. He'll bring justice to the oppressed. He'll bring peace to a world that often lacks it. He'll bring life that knows no end to all who know and follow him. Sometimes when we feel trapped in the rubble of our present tense, what we need to be able to endure is a reminder of the promise of what is to come so that we can abound in hope. If we go back uh, to central China where we started our time today. Soon after the earthquake in 2008, a story began circulating uh, by email uh, and social media. Believe it or not, that was like the beginning of the Facebook era back then. <laughs> um, and even in official news stories coming out from central China, that on one occasion as the rescue workers were going through the rubble, uh, they found a mother uh, who had tragically died, but she was hunched over kind of like this, her arms kind of buried in the mud and the soil, her back bearing the weight of the rubble that had fallen upon her and had taken her life. Now, this picture is not a picture of that mother, but it is a mother whose child was rescued. Um, and so this was something that happened tragically uh, all over the place in the, in the course of this earthquake. Um, as the story goes, uh, one of the rescue workers uh, as they were moving on to try to find the next person to try to rescue, realized that was a strange position for that mother to be in. And so something struck his mind, and he returned, and he discovered that underneath this mother uh, was a sleeping child uh, who had been protected and preserved, uh, its life spared at the expense of its mother. And according to the story, and we don't know if this is a true story or just one of those things that gets told after events like this, but according to the legend, uh, right there with this child was a cell phone, and 
on the cell phone was written this message, kind of translated into English, my dear child, remember, I love you. So you can tell why that kind of story would get circulated. But, but here's the thing we know to be true without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, when Jesus took upon the sin of the world, when he suffered and when he died and when he was buried into the ground, he took upon himself your sin, your shame, and all of the brokenness of the world. He bore the brunt and the weight of it so that you could be rescued. Your life could be preserved and restored. Jesus took upon himself all of it so that you might be set free from the brokenness of your own life and of this messed up world. But that's not even the end of the story. Not only did Jesus die and then uh, was he buried in the ground, but on the third day he broke out of his tomb alive and victorious. And he promises to return and do the same for you. And so what that means is you can have a hope that knows no end because you know the one who has defeated sin, death, and the devil. And so in the midst of the brokenness of your everyday life, you can put your hope and trust in him. As you reflect on that and to close out our time together today, I have a couple here in practice questions. And Sarah and I didn't talk about this ahead of time, so it's interesting how it came together. First of all, I love that uh, ugly sweater shirt, so I had to include that one in our slide, right? Uh, on the clock for Christmas. That does not exist yet. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, three th or two things to think about if you're on your own or share with someone if you're with someone in worship today. Of the three things I just talked about, faith, hope, and love, which do you feel is strongest for you right now and why? Give that some thought. And then secondly, this theme of prayer. Who do you know that could use your prayers I want to invite you right now. We've talked about praying for them. We've prayed silently uh, in our prayer time together, but maybe on your own or with someone, pray out loud for them. I'll give you a couple minutes, maybe uh, three, four minutes to be able to do this here in practice time, and then we'll close out with a blessing and then send you on for your day.